Hey, show them what your name is. Do you have a man who you came with? We're live. Hello, world. (laughs) (laughs) This morning or afternoon or evening, wherever the world finds you today. I guess we can just get started. We're talking about Black motherhood. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get started. And and Keisha will come back. All right, cool. So you want me to go ahead? Yeah. Welcome back, y'all. Street Academy Podcast, where we keep one foot in the academy and one foot in the streets. Yo, 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 yo. Peace to the planet. I know that's that's what Charlemagne do. Peace to the planet. Peace to the gods. Peace to the ancestors. We back, y'all. I'm excited. Another episode. Super, super excited to bring this to y'all. Mother's Day edition of Street Academy Podcast. This episode. Let's go. Either the day before or Mother's Day, something like that. So we will definitely. Um, so we we are uh, we super excited about what's getting ready to happen. I know that we we didn't release a new episode last time because we had the Derek Chauvin trial thing um, going on, and we felt that it would be uh, more beneficial for us to re-release a previous episode where we talked about uh, Black Lives Matter, police brutality, and things like that. So. Uh, that's what we did the last time just to make sure we're staying consistent with our content. And so this is the next um, new uh, episode for Street Academy Podcast. So how y'all doing, Dr. Hater? And Listen, Barufus? I am great. I am great. It is my birthday weekend. Uh, it's not my birthday. Yes. It's Wait, not my birthday it. month anymore, but it's my birthday month. Yes. Switch up the view, put it on speaker view for Dr. Hayden. Happy yes. Birthday. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Celebrate me. Celebrate me. <laughs> I was about to say, I don't know which one is my birthday weekend, if it's this one or next one, but my birthday is Wednesday. I'm excited. Yeah. Take Listen, it off. Both of them. Wait, Nila, when, when, when is your birthday? Cinco de Mayo. Yes. Oh, Cinco de Mayo? Yes. 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 It's the whole week. It's, it, you're right in the middle. Yes. This weekend? Yeah. This weekend. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not even my birthday month anymore but guess what it's my birthday month because it is. <laughs> it is so i'm taking all those celebrations um we went to chicago for the past couple of days you okay. know we're back now but you know we had some stuff to do in chicago so i was like let's just time it so i can have a little good birthday fun and yeah so things are good Yes, feeling refreshed, looking refreshed. Got the hair to the side. Gotta do it on a one time. Gotta do it on a one time. You see, you see it. Facts. That's beautiful. The doors of the Street Academy Church are open. We will let y'all know where to direct your tithe and offering at a later point. Call Grant. Next payable too. Yes. So, speaking of blessings and being blessed, today we are talking about the biggest blessing, uh, which for many of us uh, is our mothers. Mother's Day episode, we're going to be talking about motherhood and what it took to get to motherhood, the pregnancy, the whole journey. and so before we jump in with our guests, um, let's do a quick off the Georgia Dome. Amber, John, what are y'all thinking about Black motherhood? 
<laughs> I remember one of my friends, Sharia Harris, several of you all know her. It was the best thing. One of the things she just put on Facebook one time, and I'm just going to fully quote her. She said, being a black woman is the realest shit ever. <laughs> and that's just what I feel. <laughs> and when it comes to black motherhood, that is what that is. It is the realest, most vivid experience that I think any human soul well, no, I mean, I know there's other countries and stuff too, but for just from my perspective right now, I'll just say this, that a person can experience on this, on the planet. I'm just going to say that. That's real. Um, man, when I think about black motherhood and I look forward to, I guess, maybe even challenging me on this, but I just think about like, I think about like the greatness of, 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 of motherhood of mothers and everything that mothers do and, and all of the, um, you know, just everything that they juggle, everything that they take on. And I know a lot of people praise it like, you know, oh, my mother did this. My mother did that. She worked these jobs. She was this and that. And, and she still looked fly and she still did this. Mm -hmm. And that's the first thing I think about. Like, even when I think about my moms and just everything she's been through, everything she's gone through and how she's just amazing. Like just the number one person in my life. But then. I also think about, but, but why does she have to go through all that too? You know what I'm saying? Like, why do these black mothers, yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, they're divine and all this other kind of stuff. But, you yeah. know, it, it almost reminds me of that. Um, I forgot that dude name who said, um, yeah, yeah, we're magic, but we're also real or something like that. We're also human. Was that yeah, we're also human or something like something like that. Yeah. Um, something Williams, Jesse Williams, I Jesse think. Jesse Williams. And um, so that's something I often think about when I think of motherhood. Like, it reminds me of this book I read in grad school called The Joys of Motherhood. And it basically just kind of puts a different perspective on like, you know, how we praise these moms, black moms, African moms for just doing all this stuff, but really we killing them. You know what I'm saying? Like all of this extra burden that sometimes we could put on mothers, we really killing our mothers and then praising them in the same breath. So I don't know, I'm just looking to get some clarity on that from you know, our illustrious guests uh, for the podcast today. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm excited for this episode. We are going into Mother's Day. We're coming off of Black Maternal Health Week. So, you know, I think some of the most important guests that we could have on the show are Black moms. Mm -hmm. And so um, we have two Black moms in the building. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna let y'all go ahead and introduce yourselves. Um, we are celebrating you i see neela is here doing the multitasking which is i don't know how you could be a black mom if you are not <laughs> if you are not in all the mixes at the same time making sure the wheels are, are spinning literally um, yeah <laughs> yeah so i'm gonna let y'all go ahead and introduce yourselves if you have any opening like thoughts as before we jump into like questions and dialogue you know go ahead and share them with us and then keisha you could go first and then neela you can go Okay, cool. Um, so I'm Keisha and I've got two babies. I have a 14 year old who I call her my box baby. I didn't make her from scratch. And then I have Phoenix who is four and I like them. I think what I'm gonna say for my opening statement is that this year I'm calling Mother's Day Milk Day. It's my, okay. that's how I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling very milky. And I feel like mom should feel milky. I get really annoyed at the fact that 
women are hypersexualized until they have children. And then after they have children, it's like, throw them away. I'm not here for it. I want some Beyonce, big booty mama vibes (laughs) over my mother's day. That's how I'm Okay. I like that. Beautiful. Yeah. Let's go. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. I like that. Oh, my turn? Yeah. Okay. Hey, y'all. I'm Mila. I have three babies. Um, they're not babies anymore, but they're my babies. I have an eight-year-old girl. I have a five-year-old girl and then a four-year-old boy. People ask us all the time, what were we thinking? And the answer is, we were not. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Well, let's get into it because you know, babies start where they start. Um, I'm really interested to hear how you're gonna take this question, Keisha, about um just black maternal health and experiences that you had when you were pregnant, even in thinking about your daughter who is your box baby. So, you know, I'm just kind of curious how you're going to um, just think about what it is to step in to someone who's already here. But um, I guess there's two questions in that. What were your experiences like when you were pregnant and what was like your maternal health journey, especially as a black mom? Um, and then Keisha, we could do it now or later. Just like, what is it like to step into uh, motherhood who, of a kid who's already here? So. So, I mean, the, I'm happy to talk about uh, step parenting and uh, being a bonus mom because I like I love the job. Um, I like parenting in general, but I love the job. So I don't mind talking about it. And I think stepping into that role is really different because, you know, when you have a baby, you have 40 weeks to prep before it actually gets here. So in the meantime, you just have to really take care of yourself um, which is good preparation for motherhood because you kind of forget how to do that once they get here. And then you also have all the years where they can't talk and they love you no matter what, right? So I didn't step into my daughter's life until she was six turning seven. Um, and with her, it was easy. You know, she, she wanted a female presence. Um, her mom was around, but not around that often, not around regularly on a daily basis. And so she wanted a female presence. She started calling me mom before her dad started calling me his girlfriend. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, so she was looking for it um, and it didn't bother me that much. And I had step parents growing up that were not amazing to me. They were, you know, trash. Very, very Disney uh, evil stepmother, except she didn't like give me poison apples and stuff. You know what I mean? Um, and so I was excited for the opportunity to do something different. You know what I mean? Um, and that's not everyone's experience, to be fair. You know, some people come in and the children don't want them around. So that makes that harder. And I think for me, especially now that she's a teenager, I kind of stepped into mentor role. I get, you know, I feel like Black motherhood is a lot of, it's revolutionary, right? Like you're trying to teach kids that society is also trying to teach. And the message that they're trying to give them is this big, ugly message about who they are and what they're capable of. And you have to come in and present an alternative. And so I spend most of my step parenting days, even coming into it, like, what image am I gonna, what image am I showing her? You know, what am I trying to lead and guide her to? Um, So yes, I'm her mom and I make sure I do the parenting stuff, but I do it with the weight that, you know, I'm not her only parent. And so, you know, what alternative message am I giving her? For Phoenix, of course, I had all the time in the world to prep. And during my pregnancy, I mean, I wanted, what I wanted was like 
a bedroom with a bunch of old mothers telling me I could do this and holding my hand. That's what I wanted. I wanted like, like, during your delivery, all black ladies. Like during your home. delivery or just That's like what in general? I wanted during my delivery. Wow. I didn't want no men in the room. Mm. I didn't want my mama in the room. I just wanted like a bunch of old ladies who had done this thousands of times for all the women in the village. But that's not how it works in America. That's how I want mine too. Just for that's what I wanted. So <laughs> I, I knew I was going to go the natural route. Um, I had a friend who was a doula and I wanted her to find me a midwife. I didn't necessarily want to do it at home because I was like, my carpet, that's nasty. I was just not here for it. But I wanted that like kind of experience. And the Atlanta Birthing Center wasn't open yet. So I could not go there. The other option was Savannah and that's too far because that means I could go into labor here and have a baby on the way. So that was not real life. Um, so she found a lay midwife for me in Georgia. It's actually illegal to have babies at home, which is like- It is? Bullshit, yes. It's really? Bullshit. I did not know that. I didn't, I didn't know that. find a lay midwife who's willing to let you deliver at the house. She's breaking the law and she's aware of it. Like, wow. it's illegal. Well, that just changed my whole <laughs> Is it, they, apparently it's not safe, which is not true. I'm an over Googler. So I did all of the research and, and stuff on the history of like giving birth in hospitals. And, you know, it really started out as like a luxury thing that only rich people could do. And then eventually they promoted it and promoted it to try to make it seem like it was safer than delivering at home. But it is actually just as safe to have a baby in your house as it is in the hospital. If you're an at-risk pregnancy, that's a whole different story. Like, you know, medical interventions were created to help save lives. So if you need that, you need it, but it doesn't necessarily make it safer. Um, and the issue I had with my midwife, cause I didn't eventually go with her. The issue I had with her was that every time I called her about something I was experiencing, she was like, well, I don't know, you need to ask your OB. And I was like, what is the point of you? <laughs> like, nope. <laughs> like, and, and I kept getting this messaging, like, you know, just trust your body and, you know, listen to yourself. And I'm like, but sis, I've never done this before. I've never grown a baby right. from scratch. So right. all, everything that's happening to me is new and I can Google it, but each woman is individual. So all of, I don't know anything. So eventually I had to find an OBGYN and that was, I was at 32 weeks. So really late in the game wow. trying to find a doctor now. Um, and the OB I was going to, I hated her. She had told me wow. out that, you know, if I wanted to, uh, cause I told her I didn't want any medical intervention that I didn't mind being in a hospital, but that I wanted to be allowed to give birth like naturally as much as possible. And that if medical intervention was necessary, then we could do it. And she was like, well, I mean, if you want to kill your baby, that's fine. It's your choice. No. You know? Oh my gosh. That's on you. You know, we've had years and years of medical experience that say, uh, you know, this and that and the other, but if that's what you want to do, then okay. And I had a friend who, um, you know, who was a nurse and I got basically the same message from her, which was, I mean, you can do whatever you want to do. It's your baby. It's your life. And if, you know, you want to go do something crazy and risk their life, then that's your opinion. So it was really hard to get grounded in what I wanted and to Ooh. know that the decisions I was making for my child were safe and okay. And the decisions I was making for myself and my body were safe and okay. Um, and they do that a lot. They threaten you, make you feel like, even after the kid is born, make you feel like you're a bad parent if you don't do what they think is right for your child. Um, and so I went to um, this clinic that was made up of former house, former midwives, and um, they had an OB on staff, but they delivered at the hospital so that they could do things legally. 
So I went and found them. I found them at the 36 week mark. I literally interviewed with like eight OBGYNs over the course of two weeks. Cause I was just like, I just need to talk. To and I didn't like any of them, yeah. right? Because stress impacts your labor. Yes. Right. So, and my, my doula was telling me that she's like, you need any major things you got going on in your life that needs to be gone before you deliver because it's gonna make things worse. And as a black woman, that's hard to do because there are some stresses you can't get rid of. I was having a boy. So I was like already, one, can't believe I'm even doing this, right? Mm -hmm. Two, who knows if he's gonna live to 18, mm. right? And I'm an overthinker. So I'm, already, I'm thinking too far ahead because I mean, I might not survive the pregnancy, but I'm not thinking about that right now. You know, so there's some stresses I can't get rid of. I didn't want my mom in the delivery room. So she's forcing me to have that conversation because she's like, if she's there, that'll be stressful. I don't trust my OB and I don't have one, right? So I'm going through all of these things. And eventually a white woman delivered my baby. Girl, that she's is like, good. You don't understand how much this is stressing old. me out. Just hearing this is like, I feel yes. it in my chest. Yes. Yeah. She was <sighs> 75, 76 years old. She was the only doctor that didn't walk into the room and immediately grab a penis looking thing, put some cool gel on it and not warn me and just go in. And that was like, yeah. that was like a whole other thing. I felt yes. like I was being sexually violated for yes. because yes. I didn't know that I was getting a vaginal yes. ultrasound. I thought that they were gonna put the gel on your tummy like they do in the movies and do the thing. And she was like, so this is gonna be cold. And I was like, oh, okay. And nobody explains ahead of time. Yes. So she was the first woman who did not do that. She was like, she, you know, but my fellas, she's everything seems good. How are you feeling? And I was like, I mean, I feel good. My ribs are kind of bruised. This Phoenix was huge. So he kept kicking my ribs, right? So I was like, my ribs are sore. And she was like, yeah, he just, you know, sounds like you're going to have a big baby. He's looking for space, right? But other than that, she was like, yeah, you know, what do you want for your delivery? And I told her my midwife story and she had delivered generational, like I delivered this baby. And then when that baby had kids, I delivered that baby. Like she had been doing that. She was like really retired and coming in sometimes. And I was like, please help me have a baby. <laughs> how much it costs, you know? And I had had, I had, um, apologies for being graphic, but we are talking about other. I had had so many yeast infections during my pregnancy, but they all presented differently. And so I always thought that I had some major thing going on when it was just the yeast infection. And my previous midwife could not tell that that's what was happening. And so I was scared. And I'm like, they're telling me I have to have a doctor. My midwife, you know, doesn't know what she's doing, like at all, right? And I don't trust the OBs. Here's this old white lady who knows all of what she's doing. And the way that they, the way that that clinic works, you met all of their midwives. So that if the one you wanted wasn't available, you were still with someone you trusted. And that was a big deal to me. And then I made this long birthing plan. It was like four pages long about what I don't want. It's like, I want to deliver naturally. Do not offer me drugs. I don't, don't even offer it to me because I will say yes. Don't offer me anything. I don't want medical intervention. I don't want baby's heart to be monitored. I don't want this shot and that shot after. I want to be with you every step of the way. Like I wrote all of it down. When I got to the hospital to deliver, the nurses there actually read my birth. I knew because they kept coming back to me. Like, hey, so I need to said this. You know, oh, I, I know you said this. Can you, oh, and I know you said this. Can you confirm that? And then when I got there, you know, old lady showed up. She was supposed to be off that night and she showed up. And I had a moment where I was freaking out and not pushing because that shit, 
hurt. And um, I was like kind of having an out-of-body experience a little bit. And she came and was, you are fighting the pain right now. And I need you to check in, right? And let this pain work for you so we can get this baby here. And I was like, okay. And then Venus was here in like 20 minutes after that. And then after that, it was like, I was there the rest of that day. They kept me overnight to monitor him, but I was fine. So walking, everything. The next day I went home. Wow. That's heavy. That it is so like every, <laughs> it was hell to get there. We were talking about laying that, laying that foundation, right, Josh? Man, <laughs> it was to get there. Wow. But the day of was like magic. And the nurses were like, oh my God, you did so well. Maybe you do this again next year. And I was like, oh. Oh, again next year. I didn't speak at a conference. Like, push <laughs> <laughs> that baby out. Can we wait till she forgets what that felt like before we do it again? Like, wow. it, it went pretty smooth. It went pretty smooth. I'm scared to have more because I might not be able to roll the dice and get that again. <laughs> Wow, there's so much in your story. Yeah. I don't. I mean, there's so much I want to go into, and yeah, I want to give Mila a chance to share her her. I don't know which one you want to go with—the first, second, or third baby. <laughs> <laughs> what was your experience like? Um, and uh, yeah, just go for it. <laughs> and I think we hear John. Can you unmute um, Mila now for just a second? We hear a little bit of the wind in the background, so. Um, do what you can because I know you're multitasking. <laughs> yeah, you still you still on mute. And mute. Sorry, guys. There we go. I'm getting back in the car now, so you don't hear all that stuff in the background. Okay, great. Um, but yeah, which one do you want me to talk about? Whichever one is is you feel like is the most impactful or maybe it could be a combination maybe it could be like a quick combination of all yeah, three yeah it would have to be a combination because each pregnancy is different mm. like just like every person is different like each pregnancy really is different and um honestly i did not have a great experience with any of them um wow pregnancy the first time was a lot easier because i was a lot younger um i had my first baby at 22 so I was pregnant 21 um and you know I was several sizes smaller I was doing a lot really active you know and it was just it was just like a breeze I didn't really experience um morning sickness I didn't really have like a whole lot of pains uh, as far as cravings go I think I ate ramen like every meal for like six months because it was all I wanted to eat and I would only eat like two flavors but it was all I wanted to eat so my mom started like sneaking vegetables in it <laughs> literally all I was eating was ramen three meals a day for like six months and um but I had like I was like young I wasn't established yet I had Medicaid and so with Medicaid your pool of doctors is a lot smaller um, the hospital, you don't really have a choice. You, you know, they just like, Hey, here, here you go. Um, he was black. I did. He was old. And, um, apparently he had delivered like a lot of babies. A lot of people knew who he was. A lot of people that I had experienced before knew who he was, but, um, I just wasn't feeling him. I wasn't feeling him. He was in his own spot by himself. And it was, it was, you know, um, I'm sorry, somebody's trying to talk to me. 
I'm on the it's phone. All good. We can edit that. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. Um, but he was really just, you know, he was really impersonal. He it was it was very procedural for him, but he had a PA that was a woman. She had never had any kids. She was black, but she was like, she was the only reason I stayed with him. I really wanted her to deliver my baby. And it ended up that he delivered the baby because she was like on vacation or something like that when um, baby number one was born. But during delivery, he was great. Like, cause I was tripping. I had a wonderful nurse. The staff at the hospital was great. Um, my mom was there. My boyfriend at the time was there and his mom was there and they were all advocating for me in the times that I was not like lucid, you know, cause I was in pain. I'm not even gonna hold you. Mm-hmm. I, it was a long, it was a long laboring process. I was in labor for about 24 hours. Um, and by the time it was over, I was exhausted. And I was just like, do, look, do whatever. I don't care. <laughs> I um, so having my mom <laughs> there and my boyfriend there, and even his mom, like everybody was like, nope, this needs to be cleaned. That needs to be taken care of. That needs to be done. Like it was not a game. Um, when she was finally here, you know, my mom is a nurse. So my mom is like, my mom is watching everything, watching everything. And when the baby came out, she went and followed the baby. You know what I mean? Mm. And in that time, I believe, I remember hearing the doctor say, oh, you know, you had an episiotomy. I'm going to sew you up. And then I heard him make like a comment, like, and one more, you know, to make sure it's tight. Right. And he's like, you know, elbow bumping the guy and I didn't know what that meant and my boyfriend didn't know what that meant what my mom wasn't there and so it was a whole thing and not to get you know uh, I'm not shame. You talking about motherhood. hopefully this is not Go too for it. You no, graphic I need the um, graphic but for years and years and years after that sex was very very painful for me and I did not have sex very often like you could count on one hand the amount of times I was having sex every year because it was that painful. So I was not about that life. And because I had Medicaid, I did not have access to doctors or people to check me out because he was my OB. So then that means he's also my gynecologist. I couldn't go see somebody else to be like, hey, something doesn't feel right down there because I was telling him and he's like, oh, you're fine. You're just getting used to, you know, the first time after you have, you know, a baby is hard. And I'm like, no, sir. But a year, sir? Yeah, years, plural. So that was the first baby. The second baby came, We, me and the boyfriend ended up getting married. So now he's my husband. We got married. And literally, as soon as we got married, we were pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I went back to that doctor and my husband got, um, he had like, a, he got, he'd gotten a new job in between that time and it came with its own health insurance. So now we have good health insurance. Yeah. So we were able to pick our doctor. We were able to pick the hospital. And because we had such a wonderful experience so at the hospital, the last time we went back to that hospital and we picked the doctor based on who had um, delivering privileges at the hospital. So we ended up with a white male doctor this time. And he was super attentive. He was really nice. He was all great. And like, he was great. He had me write a birthing plan. He had like this whole thing set up. And then it came time to have the baby. And when I tell you this, this delivery was 
completely different than the first delivery. I wanted, like, I had to, she was supposed to be big, like, really big baby. And um, so, and, and for the first, I want to say, like, the month or so before she was due, I was, I was going to the hospital because I was in labor. And they kept giving me medicine to stop it. So they're sending me home and they're sending me home and they're sending me home. And then right around her due date, nothing. So they're like, all right, this kid is getting big. We gotta do something. We're gonna scrape your membranes. Did not know what that meant. Literally what it means is they take, I don't know what the, the thing looks like, but they take a tool, put it in your, your, vag your vaginal canal and they like scrape the, around your cervix, right? It's very painful. And then he was like, I'm going to give you a cup of um, senna tea, which I didn't even know white people drank senna, no, no shade, but I didn't know, you know, he was like, I'm going to give you some senna tea and I know what senna is. And so I'm like, mm, no, sir. And he's like, if I drink a cup, will you drink a cup? And I was like, well, you got to drink yours first. Isn't that dangerous when you're pregnant? Sis, he drank the cup. I drank mine. It was a little bit of senna. I drank mine. And I'm like, okay, because it was an early morning appointment. And I'm like, okay. He's like, come back at two. Go ahead and go eat breakfast and do whatever you want to do. And come back at two o'clock and we're going to check again. So for and clarity, I'm like, okay. Jackie, Neela, I don't want to interrupt you. For clarity, no Jackie, problem. a lot of things that they tell you are dangerous when you're pregnant are dangerous because they induce labor. So then when the time oh. comes, if they're trying to get labor started, they'll give you those things. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Cool. Go ahead. Neela. All right. I'm so, sorry. The, um, all of my medical background is like kicking up. Girl, no worries. So we left to go eat, like right up the street from the hospital. And before we got into the parking lot, I'm like, man, I'm having a lot of pain. So we, my uh, husband calls the doctor and he's like, you can have like Tylenol or something like that, something over the counter. And so he drives into this um, grocery store that's like right there to get something to give me to take so we can go eat or whatever. While he's inside, I hear an audible pop like a from inside my body. I had never experienced this before. I heard something pop inside my body and I started panicking. I was like, oh my God, what was that? I called my mom. My mom didn't answer. I called, you know, my friend who I know had, had a bunch of babies and had experience. She didn't answer. I had nobody else to call. I called my husband and I'm like, bro, something popped. And he was like, what does that mean? And I'm like, I heard a pop. And he was like, I'm coming, I'm coming. Came back outside. And as he was walking back to the car, the contractions just hit me head on. Like it wasn't no easing into it. It was here. And you know how contractions go up and they go down and they go up and they go down. Mine didn't go up and down. They just went up and up and up. So we went right back to the hospital. He's like, go straight to the hospital. Do not stop back at the thing. You're in labor. Do it's not time. stop. Do not time. collect. Go to the hospital. $200. Huh? No, I was just saying Monopoly. Like, do not stop. Go. Do not collect. Facts. He was like, yeah, go don't straight. come back. I'll meet you at the hospital. Go straight to the hospital. Got to the hospital in five minutes. Mind you, they should know me by now because they're going to see me six times. I'm there every week before this last month, you know, having contractions and they're stopping my labor. So I go in there and they're like, you have to fill out this paperwork. I was in so much pain. They did not have any... Um, any wheelchairs available. I had to, the, the elevator was broken. I had to walk up like four flights of stairs. Um, it was just, it was just a really, really traumatic experience. And then by the time I got to my room, I had this nurse 
and she was just really cold. She was really uncaring. She was, and it was, it was awful. And I'm like, lady, give me my, give me my drugs. Cause I want the drugs. <laughs> give me my drugs. And she's like, I got to ask you questions first. Well, ask the questions. But by this time I'm on the toilet cause the center is kicking in. And she's like, well, I got to wait till you get off the toilet. And I'm like, no, you don't. You're talking to me right now. You better ask me these questions. Eventually she asked me the questions. We fast forward. I am in so much pain. I'm delirious. I never get my drugs. They lied to me and told me they gave me drugs so that I would push. It was like, it was, that was the most traumatic birthing experience I had. When I tell you, I'm like, I'm so in so much pain. My eyes won't focus and my eyes are like floating. And, I, and I'm dizzy and I'm in pain and I'm hot and I'm sweaty. And my husband don't know what to do. You know, he's like, yo, she said she want drugs. Where the drugs at? And they're like, oh, they're coming. Oh, they're coming. My mom was at work. My mom left. Bring work. them now, though. Why y'all playing games, bro? Y'all getting yeah, mad, yeah, bro. Like, for Damn, what? they're never coming. Damn, like the drugs, that. My the drugs were never coming, though, John. Girl, what? the drugs were never coming. Once you get to a certain part in labor, once you get to a certain point in labor, they can't give they them can't to her. It. So the drugs but were never coming. They were never coming. Something to get out of this game. They did not tell me that. So they're lying to me. And I'm asking questions and they're not directing the answers to me. They're directing the answers to, to Scott, my husband. And he's like, okay, okay. You know, and I'm like, is somebody going to talk to me? My mom gets there and I'm like, mom. And she's like, I got you. And when my mom got there, she, she's whipping everybody into shape. And my mom is the most soft-spoken, the most easygoing, the most chill person you will ever meet. And for a Jamaican woman, that is rare. You hear me? But when I tell you, my mom put that bass in her voice when she got there and was whipping niggas into shape. Can I say niggas? You can say whatever you want to. Okay, great. <laughs> you niggas. can say niggas. Oh, yeah, this is, this is a grown you can say niggas. Okay, great. Yeah, so she was whipping. I'm telling you, she's acting together. But then the, um, the anesthesiologist came in. They tapped my spine to pretend like they were giving me the epidural because I am stubborn. And I was not pushing nothing out until I got my drugs. And nobody was explaining to me what was happening. And they kept telling me the drugs are coming. So I'm like, I'm waiting till the drugs are coming. You feel me? So the anesthesiologist gets there. They, he, he gives me a shot, but there's nothing in it. It's like saline or something, which we found out later. And then they're like, okay, push. I push from beginning, from when I heard the pop to delivery, two hours. Wow. Two hours. I find out wow. after I have already pushed the child out, they didn't give me any medication at all. They tell I mean they're telling me all of that at the like at the same time. They moved me from one room to another room and they wanted me to like slide over in the bed, but I couldn't move. And so I like turned over to like climb over like on all fours and the nurse was yelling at me. Like it was it was the worst experience I have ever had. <laughs> I was scarred to the point where at the child's nine month checkup, I pass out at the child's doctor and I wake up and I didn't know how long I was out. They had taken blood. They had like, they had been trying to wake me up. Damn, I was pregnant. They're like, congratulations, Mrs. Hines. And I'm like, for what? Like, I didn't do nothing. And they're like, oh, you're pregnant. Like, what? Don't cuss at me like that. <laughs> I bawled my eyes out nine month checkup 
and I'm pregnant. What do you mean I'm pregnant? How? And they're like, do we really need to explain this to you? And I'm like, okay, you, like you know oh. how. You know how. Exactly. So I call Scott and I'm like, yeah, they said I'm pregnant. He's like, how? And I'm like, that's what I said. And I'm like, that's what I said. He was like, but, but. And I'm like, fam. And he's like, well, all right. Uh, you know, we got to go to the doctor. So we're going back to our very same doctor. And I was so traumatized from the, the last time that I was like, yo, like, I'm not doing this again. Don't want to do it. And I asked the doctor, I was like, what are my options? And he was like, what do you, what do you mean? What are your options? And I'm like, like, what are my options? I married. Yes, I married. Already got two kids. By this time, how old am I? I had the first baby at 22. And then three years later, so 25. So at this time, I'm 26. And I'm like, I already got two kids. Like, we're trying to establish ourselves. We can't afford another baby. I am afraid to have another baby. Like, it's, it's the recovery from that, that, that delivery was much quicker. I was up and walking around that evening, you know, but I was like, I was traumatized. So I was like, I don't want to do this. What are my options? And he was like, okay, I'm going to set you up for your blood work. Um, we're going to go ahead and, and schedule out your, you know, your next six months Sis. And I was like, um, did you not hear me? Because I thought he just didn't hear me. So I'm like, did you not hear what I said? I don't want to do this. What are my options? And he was like, oh, well, I don't do that. Um, but yeah, we're going to, you know, what, what I want you to do after you get out of here is just go right across the street and go get your blood work drawn. And then we're going to set up your glucose and da 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 da. And I was like, oh, okay. Wow. I left wow. and I did not go back. I wow. went to someplace else. I researched, you know, um, early term abortions and all that stuff. Like what, what my options were. Cause I, I, when I tell you I was not doing this, I was not doing it. Long story short, we were in, we were broke at the time. So I couldn't afford to go do nothing else. By the time I got the money, I was like three days outside of the window to take the pill. And I was not doing the other thing. So looks like we having a baby, my G. I was depressed. I was so depressed. I think I gained 50 pounds during that pregnancy. Whereas previously I gained like 20, 15. And then I, I dropped yeah. it afterwards. This pregnancy, I gained 50 pounds. I completely let myself go. I did not care how I looked. I did not care what was going on around me. I was taking care of my kids because they could not take care of themselves, but I was not taking care of myself. Um, my husband could see I was depressed and he didn't know what to do. You know, he's trying, but he, he didn't yeah. know what to do. And um, I had a situation where I felt like, you know what, this new doctor I had, because I had to find a doctor. Um, I didn't like the new, the new doctor. It was a it was like a group practice and you pick your doctor and you see your doctor initially, but you might not see your doctor again. That might not be who's delivering your baby. I was not pleased. I was not pleased. And I was like, I don't want to do this. So at 36 weeks, I started looking for a new doctor because I'm like, don't want to do this. Not about this life. And eventually like I didn't, I couldn't find anybody last minute. Couldn't, couldn't afford to switch. And so we ended up, um, having the baby and we switched hospitals because we have a, a family friend that is a nurse that basically runs the maternal unit at this particular hospital and she was like don't worry about it when you go into labor call me y'all all know who she is um, and she's like I'll be there and she was not even scheduled to work when I went into labor um, but I called her she lived far away she lived 
probably like an hour and some change out. I called her when I got to the hospital. She was like, you should have called me on the way to the hospital. I was like, my bad. I didn't know. She was like, I'm on my way. I'm like, are you even working today? She's like, that's none of your business. Don't worry about that. I'm on my way. So they wheel me to the back. I have these two nurses, this doctor, the doctor that I really did not like out of that practice ended up being the doctor that was supposed to, you know, um, deliver the baby. I was not happy, not happy. My mom was on the way. Um, it was, it was just, I was, I was anxious. I did not like this lady. She was threatening me. Like it's very similarly to what you were saying. And I was just like, I'm not, I'm not here for this. And I was waiting on our friend to come. The nurses were all right. But when I tell you the doctor came in, spoke to me for five minutes and left, and then I didn't see her until our friend came. Our friend kicked the other nurses out. She was like, thank you. Your services are no longer needed. You've been reassigned to this other room. She kicked everybody out. The doctor came in. She was like, okay, this is what she wants. This is what's going on. The doctor checked me without warning me, without saying, hey, I'm going to put my hands up there. It's a little short lady. So she had to put her whole hand up there. And I'm like, ow, you know, and she, she, she's like, okay, everything's looking, you know, good or whatever. I'll be right back. She leaves. She comes back. I'm like dozing. Cause I know my friend got this. My friend leaves to go get some things. And while my friend is gone, the doctor comes in and breaks my water without informing me, without asking me, I was not prepared. I was asleep. She just comes in and, and puts something and breaks my water. That's and I start screaming because it's painful. I start screaming and my husband wakes up. He's like, what happened? What's going on? My mom has just gotten there. What's going on? My friend who's the nurse just got back into the room and she's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And the doctor's like, oh, she's being dramatic. I just broke her water. And yeah, and my friend is like, she said she wanted her water to break naturally. And that was like, well, in there. Long. Are you kidding Damn. Bam, she was like, well, it's taking too long. And my friend was like, do not come back in this room. Don't come back in here. We don't need you. And she kicked the doctor out. My friend delivered yeah. my child. <laughs> she got I was in labor for like, okay, she got that kind of pull. You know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> she kicked the doctor out and was like, don't come back. You can come back to sign the, like, the paperwork. Don't come back in here before that. I was in labor for about another four hours. And then bouncing baby boy came. Yo, real talk, a, like, go go, think, go ahead, Amber, go ahead. I, I'm just saying, I think all of us are just blown away by your stories, by oh. all of the, I mean, there's so much in them. I mean, it's, it's just traumatic. the layers right. of, of just- It's traumatic, history. and then it doesn't even include all the stuff that comes after that. Afterwards, like, everything. What I get right after having right. a baby, using the bathroom is, is scary, right. and it's painful, and it's traumatic, learning how to, like, because I breastfed all my kids. It was hard to, like, get them to latch, and this kid had oh, this yeah. palate, and it was oh, all of this yeah. stuff, and it was, it was painful. It was a lot, and with my mom being there, it was still a, a huge learning curve, and it was just like, yeah. I just so want to say, like, for the for the women who are listening, you don't trust your doctor, get another one. Period. I don't care if as it's just soon, a feeling in your chest. I don't care as if it's soon just as you, feel if that you way. don't like them, get rid of them. Second of all, Absolutely. be aware if they induce your labor, the labor will be worse than if they don't induce your labor. And they don't, that's the thing. They don't and even they don't like, tell you. they, they did not give you me that. a choice. 
Good they Lord. induced my first child. They didn't. They didn't induce the second. The, the second or the third. The second one came quickly. The third came. You know, after she broke my water, it was pretty quick. But the first one, they gave me like a, a medicinal inducer, a pitocin. Yes. And when and I tell you, so much worse. When I tell you, I was seeing stars. Like it's it's not a game. If you if you can tell them no. You don't want that. That, that um, was that was gonna be my third thing is that if a doctor performs any procedure on you without your informed consent, meaning you understand what's happening, it is assault and you can sue them. Use the yes. A word. Tell them if you do anything to me without my consent, I will be suing you for assault. I will press assault charges. I promise okay. you, you have a different experience. I yeah, just want to say it out there. Oh no, 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 no. That's good. Thing. That's good because we're definitely gonna we're gonna get into that either at, later on in this episode or definitely we have another episode coming this month where we're gonna talk about black maternal health and the laws and all that other stuff. So we we gonna we gonna get we gonna hit all all those points. But that is that and they is use incredible. Go, they use um, fear. They use your you know because even like even if it's not your first kid, like I said before, every pregnancy is different. Mm. You experience new time, and it's just like what is happening here? What is going on with my body? And you feel like your body is betraying you. And right. they kind of have a better understanding, at least clinically, of what's going on. And they use fear to control you and, and inform your decisions. Mm. And so if you don't know any better, you just, you're like, okay, I guess. You and know. so I, I want to pick up on that and the fact that it's just like, there's so many things. There's so many, I just feel like things that as a mom, as a woman, as like whatever your career is in terms of like how much you know about something, whatever you feel like your rights are, agency, um, and even what both of you all talked about um, in the beginning, um, Keisha talking about Mother's Day being MILF Day, and then even how, uh, Neela, you were just saying that, you know, at that third pregnancy, you kind of just let yourself go, and then even after pregnancy, you're breastfeeding, and how that makes you feel about your body, or and even the fact that you feel like you're at odds with your body. There's so much that's happening that you're thinking about. Yeah, all so at the same time, and I'm that curious. doesn't even include how the people around you are adjusted. So like with, with baby number one, I was still living at home with my, with my family of origin. I had, you know, in the house, there was my mom, my brother, my sister, my uncle, and my grandfather. We all lived in the same house. So first and foremost, it's like, help, Holy Ghost, space. You know what I mean? Where is this child going to live? And then it's just like, you know, every, everybody else around me was excited and preparing and buying things and storing stuff. The whole front room of the house was stocked up with stuff. But I was like, oh, I'm not ready. It's like, I'm scared. The second time I'm married and it's the same guy, same dad. However, he did not experience all of the pregnancy, late nights, you know, getting up a million times to pee. He didn't, he didn't see all of that firsthand. He heard about it, but he didn't see it. So he's adjusting to that. And the third time, I was so not excited. And he was trying to, you know, be excited. But we're worried. We're broke. We have, you know, all this stuff going on. We got two other little kids. Like, everybody is adjusting around you as well. And other people's anxieties, I'm an empath. I feel that. Mm -hmm. You know what and I mean? Then, and then everybody expects like Black women to be strong enough to, be strong. to accommodate right. everybody else. That's right. 
So That's I'm the right. one growing a fucking baby from scratch. But That's I got right. worried about how my mama feel left how, out of the process and how her right. feel about how I'm feeling and all of that exactly. other shit. And so and you, by the time you get into the doctor, the doctor's like, well, she's being dramatic. No, I'm being human because I'm black right. women are human. I'm fire. Don't you say she being dramatic. I'm slapping right. fire everybody in that room. But, yeah. but, but the expectation was, isn't just, it's not just the doctor. It's the whole it's the whole the world in your yeah, family are like expecting yeah. that you ought to be able to accommodate everyone people were talking to me about how my stepdaughter was feeling like she's growing a baby i'm growing a baby but i'm supposed to manage her emotions and my husband's emotions and my mother's emotions and mine and my whole and my family was in california so i didn't get all of that support so on top of everything else i'm still expected to cook clean, get kids ready, support husband, uh, be sexually available. All of those things are still are still on the list because, you know, when that's the furthest and from your mind, even from yourself, you're like, well, if I don't meet those expectations, am I still, do I still hold my black card? Because my ancestors did this shit and still had to get up and pick cotton tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? So even the expectation on myself, the standard is like, it's a lot of pressure. There's no room to be human. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. That's it where is. I want to, I would love to hear more about that. Like, how did you all manage all of these different roles and even all of these different identities that you felt like you had to fulfill? Even that, like during the, I mean, you talked a little bit about it during the pregnancy, but even after, how do, how are you managing being the mom, being the sister, being the, the daughter, being the cousin or whoever, being the, the worker? I mean, we didn't even talk about how you had to still maintain working or what kind of working you were doing while you were pregnant and then after you were pregnant while dealing with all of this trauma. Also, like you said, being sexually available and feeling sexy as a woman. How did you manage it all? You Who don't manage it. That was hey, you don't manage it all. That's the thing. You don't manage it all. Something falls through the cracks, something slips through the cracks, you forget something, you miss something, and it, you know, you deal with it as it comes. But so there's I, there's this I, book I read called The One Thing, and it talks about how in order to be successful at anything, you really have to focus, right? And one of the concepts that I pulled from that book that I carry with me into motherhood is this idea that in order to really focus on the one thing, you have to be okay with chaos. So if you're saying, I'm going to be a good musician, you have to acknowledge that that means that your cooking skills might fall off because you are committing your time and your energy to this thing. That's good. And so I have kind of, and with that and the concept that multitasking is a myth, it doesn't happen. You're really only focusing on one thing and you're doing everything else on autopilot, right? So combining those two things, what happens for me is I call them hats. It's like when the mom hat is on, I expect the other hats to fall off. I can only wear one hat at a time. It's not real life. That's it. Right. And then at the same time, if the me hat is on or if all the other hats are on, I have to get to where I'm okay with the fact that my mom hat has dropped right now. So like I've gotten to the point where I don't care if I piss my kids off. Like my daughter will be like, where are you going ballet? But I wanted mommy daughter time. Well, I want me time sis. And I know her feelings are hurt. And guess what? That's okay. Because I'm like, I have to, for my children, even with, sometimes I feel like I'm only teaching them how to take care of kids. I'm not teaching them how to take care of themselves. I'm not teaching them how to take care of their career. I'm not teaching them how to take care of their relationships. Mm -hmm. I'm just teaching them how to take care of kids. That's all they see. Yeah. You know what? And they're not going to learn what you teach them. They're learning based on what you do. So I've got to the point where I'm like, you know what? I'm not managing it all. And that's okay. Like I can only manage one thing at a time. And when I'm and being honest about it, 
yes, when I'm being, when I'm, when I'm loving on myself, it means I'm not loving on you. And in that moment, I have to be all right with that. And so for me, it's like a balancing act where I'm like, well, make sure that you still spend time here, that you make this a priority. That's why I do matching shirts. That's why, you know, I go overboard trying to get cookies together for birthdays and make holidays a big event so that they're still getting the love there and they're getting the attention there and the mom hat is on there and I push there. But when the time comes where I'm like, don't mess with me right now, I'm working. I don't feel bad about it because I'm like, in order for me to do all of the things, otherwise I'm just going to be a mom. And that's not real life for me because, you know, the way the economy is set up, it's got a check-ins and a savings. And if you don't get a job, it goes into the checkings. So nothing goes into the savings. So I'm like, and I started working four weeks after Phoenix was born. So I was crying on the way to work and dealing with postpartum. And, but it was like, it was a necessity. A one income household is not real life. Like that's not Mm -hmm. reality. So ain't, ain't nobody managing and it, it would like being a mom really kind of turned me into, it turned me into the stereotypical black mom. Like the whole attitude, that vibe, that I have zero fucks to give. And if I had one, I wouldn't give it to you. That whole energy. <laughs> you don't have time. With motherhood. Because you it was don't like, have time. I, have, I don't have time to babysit your little emotions. Like I don't have little people with emotions to manage. Right. Like I don't really. I mean, that part was, it, it's like, I want to be nice to and, you. I'm a very nice person, but you will And adults just in the regular expect you to care about their feelings and yes. to care about whatever's going on there when your mind is at home with your child. And you're like, look, sir, do your work and mind your business. I don't care about none of that other stuff. I'm here to do my work and mind my business right. and collect my check. You know what I mean? I don't have anything extra. And so you kind of see where that stereotype comes from, but it comes from a place of exhaustion. It comes from a place of being stretched too thin. It comes from a place of not getting the help that you need. You know what I mean? And it comes from a place of feeling like a failure because like Keisha was saying, you're spending time, so much time outside of your house, taking care of other things when all you would rather be doing is being at home with your brand new baby, you know? So you're frustrated and you're tired and you really don't care about nobody else's situation because nobody cares about yours. As people say, life goes on, like nobody cares about what you got going on. So you don't care. No, I'm the only parent, I'm the only mom on the team. There are dads on the team, but they get to be in the room by themselves. Their children know about it. I was about to say dad's roles are different and it's not, it's not, you it's know, society. to shave dads, but it, it is different. It's the baby. Babies, they were and inside of you. The connection is stronger for a little bit longer. That's all. Yeah, but not just that. Also, it's societal, you know, expectations. Like, I will never forget one time I had a whole meltdown. I want to say the second, it was, it was before the third baby. I want to say the second baby was turning one. And I had to... I was out of diapers or something, something I needed emergently. And I just was like, you know what? We're all in pajamas. We're going to the store. We got to go. I'm piling everybody in the car. And some random person that I did not know, some old, you know, black mom was like, how could you have your children outside of the house like this? And I cried because I'm like, do you know what it took me to get everybody out the house? Do you know why I'm 
I think I spazzed on her. I don't remember specifically, but I'm pretty sure I let her have like it. out like. I, I'm like, pretty sure I let her have it because I'm just like, first of all, you don't even know me, sis. You don't know me, and you see that I'm struggling. Like I'm, I'm holding one baby. I'm trying to wrangle the other one, and instead of being like, "Hey, do you need help?" Your comment is, "How could I leave the house with my kids looking like that?" So I could feed my kids. What you mean? There's no food in the house, or this this jit needs diapers or whatever. Like I'm out here for them. You know what I mean? And I don't got nobody at home to leave them with, so we all gotta go. You know? And it was just like I, I'm pretty sure I let her have it. She because I remember her apologizing. <laughs> and she was like, no, dead ass. She was like, I remember being where you are and I'm sorry. And I was like, thank you. And I was balling in the middle of Walmart in like some Grinch onesie with my two little kids like, whose teeth hadn't been brushed and whose faces hadn't been washed and people were just walking by. Like, what's going on there? You know? Look, there were times where my children were like clean and I just had on clean clothes. I was not clean. They were clean though. But I mean, that's happened so many times. See, this is okay. So, this is for me, this is why Milk Day is so important. Okay. And and I'm glad you're getting into that because so, so, so before you go into Milk Day, a a, a question I want to ask, and then we do have a couple of, 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 of uh, questions from the, because Yo, Facebook is popping. Like people are really enjoying. Oh, I forgot we were live. We're having a lot of comments. I forgot too. We have a lot of comments. People are coming in like, yo, are you serious? The doctor did what? Like, yo, so yeah. it's, it's it's people that got questions on um, on the female on, presence on, 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 um, okay. on Going into MILF, I want to talk a little bit about because there's a lot of struggles with motherhood. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that you all go through from the pregnancy, the balance, and everything. What are those moments throughout your motherhood experience where it's like, wow, it was worth it? Like, was it worth it? Is it worth it? Or it just kind of brings a different like. It, it, it balances out that struggle with something like, wow, I can, like, I want to keep doing this, especially with Neela having three kids, you know what I'm saying? So you've done this, you know, several times and it's like, but in doing this several times and the things that you went through, especially with the pregnancy and the horrific aspects of this pregnancy, I don't know. I just imagine like, is, is there some balance there between, I think I might be able to do this again. And maybe even you, Keisha, and I don't know if you've you know if, if you've thought about having another child or you know uh or you know whatever, but like what are what are some of those moments that may be able to say, I think I could do this again? You know first saying? of all, my baby fever is through the roof. I can't find the off switch. So if y'all see it laying around, pass it to the <laughs> <laughs> because my baby is through the roof. Um so for me, like there wouldn't be any struggle if it wasn't worth it. So I like, I know it seems like, oh, there's so much we're going through or whatever, but that's because it's worth it. My children are perfect, right? And that's not to say that they don't struggle through things or whatever, but they're my hope for the future. And like, I'm just looking around at the world, like y'all can say what you want to say, but when these kids come of age, you know what I mean? The world gonna be a better place. Y'all ain't even ready. You know, like my daughter has, she is so much clean energy. And I tell her all the time, like I understand how difficult it must be to follow rules when you feel like you should be making them, but you still gonna follow these rules. You know what I'm saying? Basically. But 
she has a lot of queen energy. I love the way that she thinks about things, the way she thinks about the world. I can't wait for her to become, you know, registered to vote. I can't wait for her to be old enough for her impact to really, really be felt. And I'm trying to encourage her now to, um, you know, to use her voice and to not be worried about it. And my son, I mean, he's only four, but if he stay on this trajectory, I mean, it's done, it's over. And And then there's also this opportunity to, you know, um, to get ahead of and undo a lot of the miseducation I feel like have happened with previous generations and to see that revolution, to see that progress continue and to see the next phase of it coming up. Because one of the big things for me, I'm a boy mom. One of the big things for me is I'm raising an emotionally well-adjusted son, right? You will have feelings. You're allowed to feel them. You should feel Mm -hmm. those things and then decide what you're going to do with those feelings. So like Mm -hmm. when my son started throwing tantrums initially, one, I don't want him to be viewed as an angry black man. At the same time, I want him to understand why he's angry, where that emotion came from process that emotion and then find a healthy way to communicate that to the rest of the world. So he would throw tantrums right. in the store the first couple of times. He'd throw tantrums in the store if he couldn't get what he wanted. And I would be like, you know, if you're angry, you should be like, oh man, that sucks. And so he would be like two and a half, three years old. And he, mommy, can I have this? And I'm like, no, we can't get that today. He'd be like, man, that sucks. As opposed to throwing a whole tantrum because I gave him a tool to use for his anger. That opportunity right. is a big opportunity for me because I see so many of like black brothers and sisters walking around. They don't have any other tools for their anger. That's not their fault. Their parents didn't right. have the opportunities that I had. This is my opportunity to further that. Mm-hmm. And if that means or I got to be tired at the end of the day. Yes. Yeah, exactly. If that means that I got to be tired at the end of the day, or if it means that I have to work on my patients while I'm working to multitask and attend to his needs or whatever, mm-hmm. then so be it. You know what I'm saying? And they're cute. Yeah. I firmly believe that babies are cute so that you don't throw them back. You know what I'm saying? That's like, facts. They were adorable. That is facts. Yeah, that's facts. So It'd be like, you lucky you cute. Because I was so lucky you cute, right? <laughs> lucky you cute. That's real like, talk. <laughs> You know, there's so many themes that y'all are picking up on, but one of the things that I think I'm drawing from some of the negative and traumatic experiences that y'all are like talking about, like pre, like during pregnancy, after pregnancy, I'm just wondering how y'all are connecting race and gender to it. Because like, it's, it's clear in my mind, like black people go through things that, um, are put on us like women go through things that are put on us I'm just kind of wondering and people who are not rich are going through things that are put on them so I'm just wondering like how y'all are thinking about you know race gender class like all of these things and how those identities or those like social things have impacted your experiences like how are y'all connecting that that is so heavy but it's our everyday life and the fact that my kids are so young and we've already had these conversations is a lot I completely forgot about what was happening in the world around the time I was pregnant when I was telling you earlier about what's going on so I had my first child in 2012 that was just before um Trayvon Martin I think or just after 2015, my second baby was born. I was pregnant with the whole Sandra Bland situation and I got a spicy mouth. I'm not even gonna hold you. When I tell you, I did not leave my house for any reason 
during my pregnancy for about six months because that could easily have been me. And 2017 is when my son was born and he was the first boy. I, he's, the, he's the last boy. I'm not even gonna hold you. I'm not having no more kids. John asked, that is not a desire that I have for my life. I think, you know, we have the Holy Trinity. We're done, you know. Um, but I think I still think babies are cute. But I'm in the place now where I'm like, oh, you're so cute. Go back to your parents. Love you. <laughs> you know, that's where I'm at. Um, but I remember crying every single day. Every single day once we found out it was a boy. Because I was just like, yo, there's no love for us. Like, first of all, being Black is one thing. And Black women get trampled on, like, not saying that, you know, we, as Black people, we cannot, you know, it's, it's, it's a girl thing versus a boy thing. It's really not, because they're killing us regardless. They don't care what we are. But just the fear that I had in my, like, I was so afraid, and I cried, and I would be laid out, you know, crying and praying over my child, because I was so worried that some he wouldn't live to adulthood. And the kids now with, like, the kids go to a white daycare. The the two, I call them the littles. The last two are a year apart, so we call them the littles. The littles go to a white daycare where, and they've been there. Skylar was the first to go at four. That's the first baby. She started going to school at four. She was homeschooled all that time before that. And um, by the time she went to school, she was ready. She was ready, ready. And she was also the first grandchild for both sides. She was the only kid for three years. So she was ahead of the game, I want to say. So when she went to preschool, they didn't know what to do with her. You know, but they they loved her. They treated her, you know, like she was theirs. And that is why we sent our other kids. Because they were like, yeah, go ahead and send the other ones. And we're like, not until they talk. They don't leave the house until they can talk well. Because then they can tell us what's happening. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. But once we finally sent them... Just the, the level of not worried I am with these people having my kids. And I was very, very concerned about them being white because my kids will tell you, because they before they left the house, they knew they were black. They knew there's a war on black people in this country. They'll tell you, you know what I mean? And so I was really worried about that aspect, but they have acknowledged that they don't understand, that they don't know and they're learning and they are willing to learn because they know these kids and they love these kids. And it literally was a conversation because they follow me on Facebook. And normally I don't be letting random people, you know, follow me, but I wanted to be able to see what kind of people were watching my kids. So I added them as friends and um, I posted because I'm very vocal about social justice things. And how Black Lives Matter, all of that stuff on all of my social medias. And I remember one day it was, it, something happened. I can't even remember exactly what it is because so much stuff happened. But I was so exhausted and so through. And I had a, I put up a whole post and I was like, if you're my friend on here and you are not a Black person and you are not angry, you are not my friend. And they responded like, what do you mean? <laughs> Like we all, we love you. We love your kids. And I had to explain to them. I said, you see my kids every day. You see them, you think they're smart. You think they're cute. Mm -hmm. I said, but the kid, the people that they're killing in these, those are somebody's kids. They grow up. 
they grow you up. know what i mean that's it black children grow up to be black like, men and, women. Women. That's and right. if you don't care that they are killing black men and women you are telling me you don't care about I, my I, children I because they are going to grow into black men and women and when i said it like that they immediately apologized and was like what can we do how do we help I think there's two there's two schools of thought, and I think it's um, it's so interesting that me and Neela are on the call because there are people who are gonna there are some people who are gonna be like tell them now right so Neela was like her kids know that they're black they're aware of blah 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 I took the complete opposite route so like I mean Phoenix knows he's black right that part is obvious he knows we're black he knows color exists I'm not raising kids who don't see color color blindness right. is an illness that's like not something you're supposed right. to right 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 um but I have not talked to him about racial injustice I talked to him about justice period right so we talk about what's fair and what's not fair we talk mm -hmm. about how everyone should be treated period but I have not addressed that even though he's experienced some microaggressions already so the first school that we went to, I wanted him in a Montessori school because of the personality type he has. And I've taught in both settings. And I feel like his personality is gonna do better in a Montessori environment. I found a Montessori mm -hmm. school I liked. It's predominantly white, but there were, well, I won't say that. The staff is 100% white and the students are more diverse, right? So we sent him there, it was fine, but you know, not very long in, he was like, my teacher is always angry. Why is she always so upset? And he was like, who would I have three? Phoenix is, I mean, emotionally, he's very intelligent. So I wasn't surprised he picked up on it, but still. Um, and then eventually I noticed that, you know, the way she was interacting with me, the way she was interacting with Phoenix, I didn't like it. I didn't like the vibe. So I pulled him and I found in, I found out that the one black teacher they used to have quit and started her own school, right? Mm -hmm. I moved him and put him there. So now he's at a black owned, all black Montessori school, right? And I love the experience because he gets to see black people in leadership. They have male teachers, female teachers, all different shades, all different types. They have, you know, a black lady there who speaks, uh, it's called Kalima Montessori. Um, and there's a black lady there who speaks, you know, very clearly. And then there's another black lady there who teaches Spanish. They got like five, six inch nails. So he getting all of his culture, all different pieces mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a big yeah. deal. I want him to see every different kind of black person. I don't want him to be pigeonholed into a type, but I also want to preserve his innocence and his childhood for as long as possible. I feel like black people are, it's almost like a requirement that we're traumatized, but your brain changes when you experience trauma, how you process things change when you experience trauma, how you learn changes when you experience trauma. And I know it's coming. And so I am hypervigilant. I just don't want to push that onto him. You know what I mean? So when he interacts with people, like, you know, it's the same thing with my daughter. Like if they interact with people, if it's a white family, you can't go over to their house. Mm. Their kids can come over here. Mm -hmm. And it's actually, the, the crazy thing is, it's actually harder for me to instill that idea in my daughter because I got to her late. And when I say late, I mean, six years old is late. It's I got late. to her late, right. late. I can't like, it's a struggle to try to teach her to advocate for herself. We're not even talking about other people. That's right. We're just talking about because ourselves. black women are taught to just accept whatever we get. And, and so, and so my baby, get. she's 14. She's still a baby. I don't care. She's like a whole new teenager. She ain't even a real teenager yet. As far as I'm concerned, mm -hmm. right? She's 14 and you know, some white boy at school caught her out of her name. And because she doesn't want to call, make waves in the free waves. Yes, yeah, she don't want to say nothing. She apologized for pissing him off. Mercy. Oh, oh hell, baby. Oh, you know what? Mercy. What? 
So you know, I'm talking to my child, and I'm like, sis, we drink white tears for black. I apologize. We not apologize. We not signing no plea deals. We not saying we We not apologizing. And I feelings be damned. The group's feelings be damned. Advocate for yourself. And that's a lesson that I've been trying to teach her since it was somebody stole my crayons. Because six years old, late. I got there late. And it's not to say yeah. that her parents weren't doing the best that they could because they were. And that's why I'm like, moving yeah. into the generation, moving into this next generation. It's like, well, what, what are the things that I see mm-hmm. that I can do something about? Because to put the onus on every single parent is unfair, right? That's my, right. I went, my, the school I went to, the uniforms was red, black, and green. Mm-hmm. I had a different kind of education. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like it got to me very early. Right. Mm-hmm. So I have is I see things at the smallest level that other parents mm-hmm. might be like, oh, this isn't a big deal. This is just kids being kids. Let them work it out amongst themselves. Right. Whereas for me, mm-hmm. I'm like, no, my child doesn't advocate for herself. I have to do something about that. So with her, I'm like, I'm teaching her, you got to speak up if somebody does something to you. And with him, I'm like, if somebody does something to somebody else, you got to speak up. All I mean, that's that also a Yeah. It is a race conversation. It is a class conversation. It is a gender conversation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. like it in the moment, you know, moment to moment, but it absolutely is. It is. And it's like, right. we don't have to talk about how black people treat white people. We just talking about how people treat people. And what are you going to do if somebody mistreats you? What are you going to do if you see somebody mistreating somebody else? That's That's been, you know, my approach to it. And I want to get in like right, right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that when they get older, you know, I mean, all of our kids are going to face challenges. I mean, I say that my children are perfect, but they have their challenges to overcome, same as we all do. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And I want them to be equipped to get around those challenges. To deal with that's them. My that's right. And my daughter, you know, she you know, she don't like me most of the time. But I, tell her, I love you so much. I ruin your whole childhood. That's how much I love you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to piss you off. No, I will not go away. And she's like, can you just mm-hmm. not be my mom right now? No. Nope. No, I can't. That ain't how that works. I don't know how to do that. I'm sorry. I like you too much. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not going to work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what I appreciate about this conversation is that this is actually, I think, one of the truest, like, most authentic glimpses of Black motherhood because you have, like, all these kind of, the image that came to my mind is, like, you know how sometimes, like, at a circus or, like, a fair or something, you'll see somebody with, like, the stick and they have, like, the spinning plate on it. You got to keep all the plates spinning. And I feel like each of those plates is like a different theme that we could have like went down. You know, you have the pregnancy and that whole journey and all the trauma that went with it, the postpartum, the self, the self image, the managing other people's emotions, like actually being a mom and like being a black mom, being a, a, being a woman, like all of these things that, you know, you're introducing and you got to keep all of them spinning. And for us, we're just getting like this little glimpse and y'all are coming in before doing all this stuff. We get the glimpse, y'all are doing all of this after. And so, I mean, to me, it feels like an appropriate conversation because it doesn't have like a clean start and a clean end. We're just Mm, getting like a little glimpse and the plates are just gonna keep on spinning. (laughs) So so we appreciate y'all like just taking a little little time out of your very busy day and lives just to share a little bit um, of those spinning plates with us. Um, I don't know where to, to really go from here other than to say, you know, if there's something that you want to leave the people with as we 
close out this particular point, knowing that the plates are still spinning and they're going to continue to spin. But is there anything that you want to like leave the people with before we get out of here? I can, yeah, I definitely. Um, John asked earlier, like, is it worth it? It's most definitely worth it. Like the kids are, every kid has their own personality and it's so rewarding to watch them grow into themselves, like recognize that they are a, a whole person and that it's okay that they're not like everybody else. It's a beautiful experience. I wouldn't change it for the world. I wouldn't, you know, change anything that I, I had gone through to get them to be here. Mm. Um, it is like, if, if you are, new parents, new moms, or you're pregnant now, or you're, you want to be pregnant, I just want to say it's really, really important for you to have a strong support system and people who will advocate for you when you can't advocate. is a hat that you put on one of many that's right right and when you put it on you know you do your damnedest but take that shit off at some point that's right know? and don't be afraid to let your children see you as something other than just a mom that's why milf day is so that's important right. to me i feel like yeah, all yeah. mothers are milfs it's not a mom out there whose nigga won't fuck her because she's a mom now like it's i'm sorry <laughs> to be graphic but it's the truth yes. all moms are milfs. that's how they end up having more kids it's like real life and it's okay if your children see you that way. I'm not saying walk around your house in your lingerie. I'm not saying that your boudoir photo should be put in a family album. That's not what I'm saying. But don't be afraid to walk in that energy and to feel like, you know, I am still sexy. I am still attractive. I am still, you know, mm -hmm. worth going and getting my hair done and getting my brows snatched mm -hmm. and whatever else that you need to do to still feel fully woman, you know what I mean? Including your sexual side, your goofy side, you know, even if there are days where you like, I made fancy dinner for me and spaghetti for you. Because <laughs> fancy dinner is harder right. to make for four people. It's easier to make for one. Like, that's okay because your children, they're a part of your life. And when they turn 18, they will get their own lives. And you don't want to, you don't want to get to a point that's where you right. have empty nest syndrome and you don't know how to be a whole person because you stopped doing that a long time ago. So, you right. know, I just, I really want to empower the moms out there you know, to, you know, wear all the hats. And then at some point, absolutely take them off and just be you and your children need to see that they need to see it. it society tells us that we're not supposed to show our kids anything, but they need to they see you just being a woman. That's all right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I know we got to do our, our, our quick takeout boxes. Um, and I know mine is just one of the things that really sat with me was just all of the structural issues that make it extremely difficult for, you know, for black women to be the moms that they want to be yet still rising, yet still, you know, still moving, yet still overcoming. And, um, you know, so I just, it just, I already knew, but now my eyes are open even more and my consciousness is raised even more to all of these bigger issues, especially around the medical industry um, and the distrust, which is why I would go back to the other, you know, conversation about the vaccine. Like these are the reasons why uh, we don't yeah, trust y'all. Don't, don't trust y'all. Right. Yeah. 
And so, you know, all these things are just coming to my mind. But at the end of the day, I just want to salute, you know, just just salute mothers, salute black black women. And yeah, I'm going to bring up that damn vaccine. <laughs> but say it. <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, I just I just want to salute y'all, man. And um, you know, mm-hmm. just just continue to be a to be an ally, continue to fight the the injustices that go on in the in the medical system and in our overall society that continue to try to keep keep our black women um, you know, limited to what, what it is that y'all can do. And so shout out to the black moms, man. Mm-hmm. My takeout, um, I have so many things in my little takeout box. I feel like I got the the, the super veggie plate with like 16 different little items. In there. <laughs> <laughs> and first, first, I just want to say thank you all so much for agreeing to share your stories today. Like, oh. I'm just so grateful for I've trusted in their experience and trusted in their willingness to be honest about the vaccine, my perspective changed. And so now having you two as younger black mothers who are in my generation sharing your stories, it's like, it has shaped my perspective even more fine-tunedly about motherhood. And it just reminds me about just the power of conversation and how much we just need to talk to each other. And sometimes about very, very specific topics like these, because these types of things, these details don't necessarily come out in just kind of the general conversation. But when we're able to talk about this and, and bring, bring, bring people together to talk about specific topics, it's just so much more illuminating. So it's just, again, it's just like the power of conversation because it's not like I don't know either of you. It's just that we haven't got right. to talk about this specific thing and to hear right. your perspective is so valuable. And it just reminds me that we have got to share the nuggets that we have. We have to share each other's yeah. experiences to, you know, help another sister out and help the other person or whatever. And also we don't know how valuable our own experiences are to somebody else, you know, because now I'm just like, oh my God, Georgia doesn't have a birth. I can't have my baby at home. That's my little vision for myself. Whenever I have my little babies, I'm like, I'm going to be at home in my own little suite. They have one now. It opened. Huh? Atlanta Birthing Center opened like the year after I delivered. But I wanted at my yeah. house. But I want to have my baby yeah. at my house. That was my little vision. But even still, now I'm just like, it, it's just to me the power of community and being able to talk about these oh, things. Really? It's just passing down and sharing wisdom. It's just so much. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, community is so important. I just feel in like the village. Yeah. It's just like, it's so Absolutely. important for us to just, and so what um, Neela said about support and just having a support system around you. And I'm just like blown away by that and how grateful I am that now I know that I know both of you and that like now I have a, que- like if I have a question about it, I'm like, I can I can ask Neela or Keisha. And now I'm like, Absolutely. What, what about all the rest of the people who I've never talked about motherhood with? And just, just really seeing our community as just, just, just it, it, it's what we need. It's just like, it just reminds me of how the forest works. Like all the trees roots are all together. They feed off of each other. They pass each other nutrients back and forth. Everything is underground and we're not necessarily seeing. And that's what it is supposed to be about, especially going to my third point in my takeout. It's just like what John was talking about, the systemic issues that we have to deal with. 
then it's just like the way we are gonna have to deal with them in a lot of ways is through systematically connecting with each other. Um, because, and we, we are not alone. We aren't alone in this. We don't have to feel alone. We won't, it's just like, we need each other and it's beautiful to be in community. So, I mean, there's so much there and I'm just like, oh God, yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm so thankful for y'all's perspectives. I just, I feel like my mind is like, and now I'm like, do I want to be a mama? I was already thinking about not being a mama, but I was thinking about being a mama, but now I'm just like, dang. So also number four takeout box, this is now like the, the collard greens on the side or maybe the double collard greens in the veggie plate. This is the, the last point is that um, like I opened up with, like my off the Georgia Dome was being a black woman, being a black mother is the realest ish ever. And I, I'm, I still believe that. And it's also beautiful. It's also beautiful. Very beautiful, incredibly rewarding too. So that's my takeout box. It's a little heavy. <laughs> Man, uh, y'all hit, hit it on the head. Like I'm so appreciative of y'all, um, particularly for that point that you raised Amber about the, the, the aloneness, the isolation. I think so many of these stories I've heard, you know, just talking to y'all one-on-one and, mm -hmm. um, or talking to other people who have stories where the pattern is similar, but the, the, in the experience is individual. Mm -hmm. I have a colleague who uses the example of windows versus mirrors. It's, and she says that the experience is not necessarily a mirror. It's like mm -hmm. a window because what you're going through on your side, I'm seeing, but it's not it's not it's not a mirror image mm -hmm. so all of that because you know I, I hear these stories and I'm so glad that we can be part of like normalizing having these conversations like out in the open like they don't have to yeah. be in secret like they don't have to be like oh let me pull you to the side like have you ever heard of this or have you ever right. heard of that right like, we can have these conversations um because the the pain the trauma like all these things that go along with um with pregnancy, with motherhood, with black maternal health, like these are things that that are important for us to be to be sharing about. Like, don't go to this particular doctor. That doctor no. don't know how to treat black yeah. moms, black women. Like, go yeah. to these yeah. other doctors. You know, go to these midwives and doulas yeah. and, all, and the Atlanta Birthing Center and Kalima mm -hmm. uh, Montessori School. Like, these are the things that we should be sharing in the open. So I'm really appreciative of y'all taking the time to help us normalize this conversation that I think yeah. is so, so, so critical to our community. Yo, well, with that being said, man, <laughs> I am, I'm full. Um, yo, just know that we got future episodes um, coming. It's a lot, y'all. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah, we got future episodes coming about topics uh relating to black you know motherhood and that sort of thing for the month of may uh but we're going to go ahead and close out and so before we do that i just want to give our guests the opportunity to shout out their handles where can we find you neela obviously we know i want you to talk about candle black market oh no leela's going okay i gotta get neela to talk about if y'all don't know if neela can't come back on candle black market y'all definitely need to hit it up c-a-n-d-l-e-r B-L-A-C-K-M-A-R-K-E-T, Candler Black Market. 
is the best thing happening in East Atlanta right now. Black-owned farmers, Black-owned businesses coming out. Definitely come out and support. Uh, find that on Instagram. Find that. Just Google it, Candler Black Market. Find out uh, information on that. It is it is amazingly dope. So y'all definitely check that out if Neela can't come back and talk about it. And it's, and it's happening today. So if you see this and this is something Sunday, um, what day is this? May 2nd. It is happening today, 1 to 5. Go out to Candler Road. Let me see. The address is 2321 Candler Road, Decatur, Georgia. Make your way out there. You're going to find some, um, like, black. this is about Black people, Black ownership, Black entrepreneurs. And so just go out there and support. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so, yeah, if, um, is, is there anything that you want to share, Keish? Um, so you guys can follow me on Twitter. It's at Keisha Lake, K-E-S-H-A-L-A-K-E. -E. Um, don't find me on other social medias because I'm not going to know who you are. So I'm not going to add you. <laughs> <laughs> so that may not that may not work out. But <laughs> if you um, definitely hit me up on Twitter, if you want to, if you have questions about motherhood, I'm one of those people that talks to strangers. So you, know, you can follow me on Twitter and then slide in my DMs. It's cool. That's cool. <laughs> yo, 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 yo. Well, with that being said, um, our hearts and minds clear. Everybody good? Whew. All right. Sounds good. Um, yo, it's been another episode, y'all. Street Academy podcast, where we keep one foot in the academy and one foot in the streets. Tune in to the next uh, episode. Uh, we still got to decide which one is going to be. I know we talked about Black maternal health, uh, and I know we talked about we some a other lot stuff. of ideas. We had a lot yeah. of ideas, so just know, a lot of ideas. yeah, just know it's going to be dope. So y'all make sure y'all like, share, subscribe, Street Academy Podcast. Find us on Instagram, Street Academy Podcast. Uh, 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 subscribe to us on YouTube, Street Academy Podcast. Google Street Academy Podcast because we are only people doing what we're doing right now because we the dopest, we the best. That's what it is. <laughs> So that's why when you Google us, we the only ones because we the best, like <laughs> Khaled say. Um, so yeah, that's that. We love y'all. Peace. Peace up. <laughs> that needs to be like the official closing. <laughs> I know we need to see if we can if we can buy this buy that from uh, Usher. Mm -hmm. That you know got their feet apart. The neck of the haters, the game and the devil like